we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts, I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. We're back. We're back. We've been back for you guys. For- yeah. This is our first recording back. It is. Yeah. Which like six weeks isn't a lot, but it kind of is when you've been doing this every single week for like over two years straight. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 But we're back and... uh <laughs> better than ever. What what uh, better way to return than with the most fucked up shit we've ever talked about? I can't wait. It's time to learn about Om Shinrikyo. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, like... <laughs> I've known we've had to do this for the entire time. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. And if... So, okay. If the name Om Shinrikyo means anything to you, then you know what's coming. If you don't, if it doesn't mean anything to you, oh boy. Let me put it this way. When I started doing like the research for this series, I very nearly chickened out of doing this series. Just because of how fucking dark it is. Eh. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not a crime podcast. We're not now, a murder podcast. You have a specific no murder rule, but this obeys that. I, I forgot about that rule. Yeah. Was that a rule? We've broken it. We yeah. broke it on the Harry Horse episode anyway. Oh, we broke. There's been murder. Yeah, Andy Paro. He murdered somebody. There's murder. There's been yeah, murder. There's been murder. I'm sure we're like forgetting a couple real serious cases of murder that can't avoid it. Really, whatever. I'm sure there's like one though that like someone is like, I can't. How? How did they forget that? Are they monsters? <laughs> like, I don't know. So we're just gonna leave it there. But straight up, this is the darkest shit we've ever talked about. For I'm, sure. I'm sure about that. And so, like, also, I don't know. Be prepared for that. I don't like content warnings, like philosophically. Nah. You know, I would feel wrong if I didn't say like, just so you know, this is going to get really disturbing. This one's gross. Yeah, it's going to get real gross. It's going to get all sorts of fucked up. Om Shinrikyo was slash is a Japanese cult founded in the late 1980s that went from a soft-spoken, quote, quote, blind, long-haired guru type pretending to levitate to being worth a billion dollars uh, carrying out the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin gas attacks that left 12 people dead and gravely wounded another 5,500. Oh, okay. I take back what I said about no murder. This is a lot of murder. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even the most murder. Whoa. Yeah. More murder than that. There's a lot more murder than that. Oh, boy. Yeah. When we talk about cult brainwashing and mind control, Om Shinrikyo and the weird, weird guru... Shoko Asahara are in a league of their own. And I'm going to say right now, Shoko Asahara, he's, he's the GOAT. Yeah, the greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all time. He's certainly a madman. And There's only one of them. Yeah, like, I, I do, it is kind of fucked up that I'm so desensitized that I can talk about cult leaders like they're fucking pro sports stars. Yeah. But I can. But you can. Like, with Jim Jones, you know, you've got like, he had one big hoedown. You know what I mean? Like there was, it was, he got a lot more people than Shoko Asahara. That's true. But it was just once. It was just the one. So I don't know. He's the only one that approaches though. They're, they're in the same class, I'm going to say. Same league. Yeah. But also by the go, I mean, he's the fucking devil too. That's the other thing. 
very evil, but in a funny way. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ocean Rikyo is as hilarious as it is fucked up, and that's why we're covering it. Yeah, that's, I hate when that happens. Like, that's why I didn't check I it out. I kind of love when that happens. I do, too. I had a blast writing this. But, but like, I hate that I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy, and it's, like, also important, too, because this shit happened in the 90s. It's not that long ago. It's really not. Like, this is super modern, and, uh, yeah, just, it's insane that this happened. So, Shoko Asahara combined his own fucked-up versions of Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana Tantra, and apocalyptic Christianity with science fiction and anime to create a virtual reality where pain was purifying and pleasure was evil. Violence was good for the perpetrator and the victim alike, and the holiest thing you could do, eventually, was kill someone in a righteous way to purify their soul. He was Shiva the Destroyer incarnate, so he said, under a banner of plastic New Age horseshit, parlor tricks, and one of the absolutely most successful, I'm gonna say, mind control operations of all time. Because... They didn't just peep people up. They cooked up LSD and weird fucking truth drugs like theopental. They uh, tried their hand at growing anthrax and oh. uh, made VX nerve gas alongside the sarin. They literally tried for years to buy a nuclear bomb. And Can you just buy that? Turns out no. <laughs> I didn't think so. Well, this was right at the fall of the Soviet Union. So there were actually and are actually a lot of nuclear bombs that went missing. Mm. So that's black market were, bombs literally it's just they're not they're complicated to take care of they're finicky you know but that was what ohm was trying to capitalize on was the collapse of the soviet union and all that shit going down clever clever they were nothing if not clever they also built a rifle factory and used electric shock hats to try and replace their followers consciousness with that of shoko asahara's and did that work Ooh, we'll find out i guess all right yeah and don't worry, that's not even really the beginning of it. At their height, they had thousands of members in Japan and even more in Russia. They could have been stopped very, very early on if the police had done their fucking job. Yeah. But don't really know why they didn't. Some people will say like, oh, yes, we do. We know exactly. And it's like, yes, there are. There's explanations, but it still boggles the mind. And we'll get we'll talk about those explanations uh, pretty early on. But have no fear. Yes, it's dark as fuck. Yeah, you'll probably have nightmares. It's fine. The reason we're covering Om Shinrikyo is because they're not only the example of what happens when you take everything we've talked about on this show and turn it up to anime levels. And I'm not saying that just because they're Japanese either. They were literally obsessed with anime. That's there like is one of their anime. things. There is an anime. I watched it. You took one for the team. I did. The thing about Om Shinrikyo is that for as dark as this story is... It's just as, or perhaps more so, fucking ridiculous. It's so funny. If you're as desensitized as us. Yes, they probably killed at least 80 people. But you know what? I bet we'll get more chuckles out of you by the time we're done. <laughs> yeah. Put good money on that. Yeah, I think we can get more than 80. On average. So without further ado, let's pull a tarot card and meet the guru. Knight of Wands, King of Wands in the Rider Waite Smith. Fiery. The fiery element of fire. Angry man on an angry horse. Burn, baby, burn. Going for it. It's a card it's a card of going for it. I was just fucking doing it. As as Corey Feldman once said, come on and go for it. I forgot about him. 
Come on and go for it. I didn't. Yeah, I don't. That's a very, it's a very appropriate card, and we'll get to that at the end of the episode. It's one of those so kind of on the nose, it's a little disappointing. Wanted to have to work for it a little bit. The full anime opening is over seven minutes long. It'd be kind of funny to just play the entire seven minutes of it as like some, some sort of art thing. <laughs> We're not going to do that. from um, the seven minute long opening song to the 1993 Om Shinrikyo anime. It's that catchy. They, that they produced. Yeah, yeah. And that was the guru himself. Singing? Singing, yeah. That was the, that was the Voice of an song. angel. Voice of an angel, yes. It's one of the funniest voices I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like really timid. And yeah. Like, warm. It's a very warm. He doesn't sound confident voice. in his singing. No, not at all. I mean, so th- uh, look, that's an interesting thing about Asahara and one that like I only kind of realized after spending a lot of time reading about this shit. Because it's an it, this guy. So one of the frustrating things is like a motherfucker like Asahara who truly became larger than life. Like, they buy a fucking military helicopter later on. You gotta do it big. You gotta do it big, baby. This turns into straight-up anime villain shit. Straight-up video game villain shit. But despite that, it's really kind of hard to get a read on who the fuck Shoko Asahara actually was. Yeah. Other than, like, a piece of shit. Then the a devil. cartoonish villain. Right, right. This is due to, like, one, you know, he created a lot of mystery around himself. You know, he, he did obscure his past and who he was and shit. He wasn't exactly forthcoming with the truth about anything. And... You know, there's probably still, it's probably still has to do with the language barrier for shit coming out of Japan. Like, that's just a thing, you know? Cult leaders also known to fabricate their past. Yeah. Yeah, but shit, this dude was on trial for six years at the end of this. Right. They hung his ass in 2018. So there is factual information. Yeah. Yeah, there is. About Such as, like, such as there is, because he was also, like, born in the fucking uh, 1950s in Japan. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That They were just kind of getting their bureaucracy on their feet at that point. But I think the language barrier does have a lot to do with, like, who he was. Not just the facts, but, like, the character. Mm-hmm. And he's not the bombastic kind of... His personality doesn't match the fire and brimstone, at least in the clips I've seen and, and some of the shit. It's not the fire and brimstone of, like, Jim Jones and shit. Right. You know? 
it's much warmer, softer, friendlier when he's, of course, there's no recordings of him going fucking apeshit on people, which he did. But his, his affect as a cult leader is softer, you know? But then I was thinking, what if that's just who he is? Do you know what I mean? Like, what if there is not actually that much character to figure out other than yeah, he's like, that fucking asshole? Yeah. Yeah. He's just a shallow character. Yeah. Which is, you know, entirely possible. Maybe he is just the fucking devil. And he likes being evil and doing evil guy shit. Maybe that's as deep as it goes. It might be. He liked technology, anime, sci-fi novels, fucking eating food and getting his dick sucked. That's what more do you get? And he loved LSD. Yeah. And you know, like, if you decide at a certain point in your life, I want to be remembered. And you're doing a bunch of LSD and like you're into spirituality and shit. Eventually the thought's going to pop into your mind. I could be a cult leader. That's one way of being remembered. I could be really fucking good at it. I could be the best cult leader there is. Have you had this thought often? So occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm too bad at organization. Well, that's why. Well, yeah. Yeah, we're, we both are. We couldn't do it. We couldn't. Nope. And also, in case we somehow could do it, that's why this podcast exists is as insurance. Yeah. We laid out exactly how we would do it online. You just take this and, you know, use it against us if you ever have to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's our insurance. <laughs> that's our insurance. You can't start a cult now. I don't know who future Sequoia is. He might be a piece of shit. I don't know. Present Sequoia is giving you a weapon just in case. It's true. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of weird shit coming out of Japan, we should probably start by giving some background on, on religion in Japan. Yes. That's an important part of this. So Japan is probably, if you know about religion in Japan, you know of two things probably. The first is probably Zen Buddhism, which is a type of Buddhist philosophy that also draws from Taoism. And uh, it's kind of, you know, the, non, the real non-attachment kind of like you have to discipline yourself to getting rid of all attachment and all this shit and stuff. And it's kind of, it takes a lot of shit from Taoism, so it's like pretty groovy, but also has like the more austere Buddhist side. It's not just goofy and kind of like, ah, it is what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot from that, and that's why we're not going to bring up Zen Buddhism again in this, because no, Om was not like that. Yeah. They were into Tibetan Buddhism, specifically Tibetan, Tibetan Buddhism. The other thing you probably know about religion in Japan is Shinto. Shinto is very interesting. It's a, a collection of practices, a tradition in Japan that is hyper-local and is about interacting with ancestors and local spirits, like, more than anything else. Shinto traditions of all, like, it's not one religion at all. Mm -hmm. It's the collection of spirit world practices in Japan that all generally were very focused on what was happening around you. You know, the spirits of the forest you live in, spirits of the house, your ancestors. Cool. Right? Yeah, it, it's very cool. Really interesting, like, mythology worldview. Of course, there was, like, you know, sun gods and stuff in some traditions and shit, too, but it took a real backseat to the local stuff and ancestor shit. I dig it. Yeah. So, despite that, a third thing you might know is that during the Second World War, the emperor of Japan was considered, at least by the state, to be a god emperor. Right? <laughs> it's just uh, there's three things you know about religion, because people do... Yeah, this motherfucker... Ah, well, this is where we hit that, like, essential... Japanese historical strangeness that underlies this whole story. What I mean, the strangeness of Japan in history. Yep. Right? The god emperor aspect was a product of what was called state Shinto and was really, really, really new. 
when you think of a god emperor in history, you think of something thousands of years ago, right? A pharaoh or some shit. Like it's been a long time since the king of a place was considered to be god incarnate. Uh, yeah. Right? That was the emperor of Japan in World War II. And they got their first god emperor like less than 100 years prior to that. Like first god emperor less than 100 years prior to that. Starting the tradition a little late. A little bit late, yeah. So we have to hop in the time machine and go collect some more of our favorite substance context. Excellent. We gotta go context farming. I love it. Yeah. Japan was remarkably successful at keeping the economic and cultural forces of Western imperialism at bay for hundreds of fucking years. It wasn't until the late 1800s that the doors of Japan were truly opened and Japan became a real player on the world stage of geopolitics. The Meiji Restoration, uh, beginning in 1868, was a profound shift in Japanese society. It resulted in the dismantling of the feudal Tokugawa shogunate, uh, restoring Emperor, (laughs) Emperor Meiji to a position of power and authority. This restoration was not simply a change in leadership, but a radical transformation, aligning Japan with Western ideologies and practices. This saw an enthusiastic embrace of Western technology, industry, and legal systems, fostering an environment of rapid modernization, with accompanying cultural shifts that impacted every aspect of Japanese society, including religion. Shinto was the tradition they had to draw on, so the Meiji government sought to manipulate Shinto for its political ends, leading to the formulation of state Shinto. This new religion, this new state religion, detached Shinto from Buddhism and uh, the hyper-locality and reoriented it as a tool for encouraging loyalty to the emperor and the state. Under state Shinto, the emperor was no longer merely a political figure, but elevated to divinity. God emperor. Clever. However, unlike god emperor Leto Atreides II, this was not the golden path of hydraulic despotism necessary to foster the evolution of the species through extreme, if unpleasant, measures. The god emperor of Japan was not the greatest predator in the universe. He was just an asshole. Not a big worm either. Was not at well. Well. This maneuvering co-opted Shinto's spiritual symbolism, transforming it into a nationalist ideology, and marked a complete departure from the pluralistic religious landscape that had characterized Japan for centuries. Yeah. So that's a big fucking deal, right? And Japan went from knights on horseback to fully industrialized empire builders with a fucking god emperor for the first time in like two generations. The decision makers who got not one, but two atomic fucking bombs dropped on their heads were literally the sons of samurai. That is insane. No matter how many times you fucking say it, it's just as crazy. Yep. Like, even as just like a symbol of the future being in, you can't be more in the future than being the only nation to have been nuked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Like that was uh, you know in um, Akira the the uh, anime movie. Like that's a lot of what that movie's about. Is like that Japan is the first post-apocalyptic culture, and that you know that's not a new idea by any means, but it's one that like I find really interesting. Um. So yeah, Japan's fucking weird. Yeah, and it has good reason to be. It occupies a really really unique place in geography in mm-hmm. historical geography or whatever the fuck you want to say it went from being the most successfully self-isolating culture in the world to having the future quite literally dropped out of the sky on their heads combined with a truly unique and rich culture and history all these historical forces 
combined to make the nation of Japan something that has never been seen before on Earth and never will be again. There is an essential Japanese-ness, and it's at once extreme, beautiful, goofy as all fuck, admirable, and terrifying. Even without the whole 20th century thing. And, I, you know, I am a secret weeb, and I do have a huge amount of respect for the Japanese people, and their traditions of craftsmanship, aesthetics, philosophy, and art. Less so the traditions of brutal fucking violence. But yeah. even that was always with aplomb. They always did it with style, you know? After World War II, the, with the American occupation and rebuilding of Japan, the island chain was exposed to, for the first time, all the shit we've talked about on Nonsense Bazaar. They saw the New Age dawning. And as a result, a whole smorgasbord of religions started popping up. They were called Shinsukyo, or New Religions. Also, I'm going to pronounce everything the smoothest way possible. And I'm going to say, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Of course, the series we do... When we come back is where I have to pronounce a bunch of Japanese. Yep. Yeah. It's just, it's just how it's going to be. Japan's changing legal code also took great, great excruciating pains to ensure freedom of religion. And this combined with the idiosyncratic way that policing in Japan was handled made it extraordinarily hard to prosecute officially recognized religions. That was just a thing no one wanted to do because you could get in a lot of fucking trouble. And that's one of the big reasons all this shit was allowed to happen. Okay, that's enough context for him. Chizuo Matsumoto was born on March 2nd, 1955. <sighs> Pisces is the most evil star sign. I think we can confirm that. He was the fourth son in a family of seven children. His parents were tatami mat weavers, so they were poor as shit. And poverty was a constant companion. But being one of the middle children, Asahara was somewhat sheltered from the harsh realities of their financial struggles. He was also partially blind. A uh, condition he was born with, with infant glaucoma. He had no sight in one eye and, like, only half vision in the other. What? It's just funny. Both our characters in Baldur's Gate just got an eye removed. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's that's true. I don't like that. He's. I just think it's a funny little synchronous. It is. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> glad he wasn't born one day later. Yeah. That, that too. <laughs> uh, God. Yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> His older brother was It's okay, I have the same birthday as Bill Cosby. Ooh. Would Would you rather share a birthday with Bill Cosby or Shokoasahara? Shokoasahara. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That would Shoko is a, he took that name later. He, I didn't misspeak He's his name. He's Chizuo. Chizuo Matsumoto. Yes. It's a cool name. It's a fine name. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with Chizuo. Not cool enough. Not cool enough. His older brother was totally blind. And the two of them were sent to a boarding school for the blind. And like, no one can write about this without making a, a, a deal out of the whole in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king thing. No, but truly. Yeah, because like. At this boarding school for the blind, he just started extorting all the other kids and shit. Like, he would lead them on walks and stuff, and then not bring them back unless they paid him. <laughs> okay, that's clever. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's incredibly clever bullying. And his, like, visual impairment, his, his, his blindness, became a defining aspect of his persona as cult leader later on. How could a blind man be dangerous? Well... He wasn't really blind either. We'll get to that. 
He also got his start in politics at the School for the Blind, running for class president every year and losing every year. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I admire his dedication, though. You know, to keep running, even though you keep losing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't stop either. But he would, like... He would also throw fits when he when he lost too. Oh no! Yeah, like he uh, let's see, he threatened to light the school on fire a couple of times. He told a teacher he'd shoot her. Oh wow! And then he complained to one girl, like why, asking why he uh he he always uh lost the elections, and she said, "Cause everyone's afraid of you, Chisuo." <laughs> yeah, he was unpredictable. He was fucking aggressive and act out. And yeah, he was an asshole from the very beginning. Okay, so he yeah. was always off. Yes. Yeah, he was always... Troublemaker. You know, people like... people Attention do make seeker. Bully. Yeah. Bully. Yeah. I mean, people make a big deal to say like, you know, that's only after he became the most hated person in fucking Japan. You know, a, a true villain that changed the face of Japan forever. Like, so it's... You're viewing the past with a... You're viewing his past with a different lens now. But also, it sounds like he was a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was also a scammer, dude. Like, he hustled and conned a lot of other students all the time. Um, reportedly, when he left, he had saved $30,000 in U.S. dollars. How? From robbing people. Apparently. Robbing the blind. Running, eh? running little businesses and fucking doing all this hustling. My God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he was obsessed with becoming rich, too. He wanted to become the rich president. It was like, his, he wanted political power and he wanted fucking money. It's kind of all he wanted. Yeah. And when he got out of school, it was the 1970s. And the 1970s saw Japan taken with the same New Age fervor that swept the Western world. You know, there were countless New Age sects, many of which were downright re- ridiculous, like an all-women's group named the Ark of Jesus that ran a nightclub called the Daughters of Zion. Um, Which is pretty sick, actually. Yeah, no. I like that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But getting officially recognized religious status like that, that's, that's, that's the ridiculous part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chizuo Matsumoto was the exact right age in his early 20s. The exact right demographic. The exact right criminal personality type to capitalize on the coming new age. After leaving the school for the blind, Asahara di- uh, became an acupuncturist and uh, massage therapist, Kanumoto, which is a thing, blind massage therapists and acupuncturists. That makes sense. Yeah. You're doing it with your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I don't know if I should save this for like a big reveal at some point or just say it now, but this motherfucker wasn't even blind. He like reportedly saw well enough to like drive and play catch and shit. Like he wasn't. Alrighty, like maybe he needed glasses, but like he wasn't blind blind. He wasn't blind blind. Yeah, according to people close to him, like his limo driver and shit, like that dude could see. Maybe he just had like one eye, maybe his good eye worked a lot better than he let on, Mm -hmm. you know? But his ass could see just fine. Just like fucking Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Just like him. (laughs) Do you know know about the Stevie Wonder controversy? I don't. (laughs) There's a, it's a whole thing. Steve, I will say Stevie Wonder has displayed some behavior that I would find very difficult from a blind man. <laughs> it's a whole probably joke internet conspiracy theory mm-hmm. about Stevie Wonder not being, not actually being blind. It's a whole thing, though. I will say. I've seen the evidence. I don't know what to think. Who's the other blind guy? 
Ray Charles? Yeah, that one. He was blind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Chizuo joined a Buddhist cult called Agon Shu, which triggered his own spiritual awakening and, uh, more importantly, gave him a blueprint on which to build his own cult. He didn't stay with Agon Shu for long. He kind of went like, I don't like these guys bullying me. Oh, (laughs) you don't like it, huh? Yeah, yeah. But he thought he was, he also thought he was hot shit from the very beginning and had dreams of like attending Tokyo University, which is, you know, one of Japan's best universities and shit. Uh, was he smart? Yes. But not like, especially. Right. You know what I mean? Like he was smart. He was a smart guy, but that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, no one would have ever called him a fucking genius. Right. But there were geniuses in Om Shinrikyo, which we'll get to. The rest of the world definitely did not think Asahara was as hot shit as he did. And he got rejected from Tokyo University a couple times. Uh, mm, a theme in his life. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, Rejection. yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1978, he married Tomoko Ishii, a marriage that would produce 12 children. Ew. Yeah. Tomoko was also known to be, a, a, she was a member of Om Shinrikyo and, you know, held a position of fucking... Doing stuff in there. Don't really know what. How was he as a husband? I mean, probably a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah like I don't need to. What's well, here's the th- he was he was the guru. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a home life. Like, Is that how he met her through his guru? No. Or like that's before that. Before that. And he had kids before that, too. OK. Yeah. How many? Um, A handful. I'm going to say one or two. OK. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that the yeah, yeah, yeah. relationship didn't start out along those lines. I don't think he could have started a relationship once. Like, something that definitely, that's why he's the GOAT, he was all in. <laughs> it became, it's all. Yeah. That it was a projection of Asahara. Another defining feature of Om Shinrikyo is that one of their stated projects was called cloning the guru. Mm. Which was literally trying to make all the members Asahara. Literally projecting out his ego into other people's heads. The whole thing was an extension of his fucking ass. I find it very icky. It's the worst thing I've ever read about in my life. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not kidding with that. It's why I'm so nervous. It's so ego driven and just like respectful to other people's personhood and individuality. Oh, you said? Like, you know, it's scary. The types of people uh-huh. that walk around the world thinking like, I'm, I truly am the main character and this is all about me. This is all for me. Yeah. Like, everyone's just a reflection of me. Yes. Like, okay. No, I like. Almost there. Not quite though. Real shit. Om Shinrikyo is the worst shit I've ever read about in this like vein of things in like it really is so fucking gross and dark in every conceivable way not just the violence not just the living conditions just the whole thrust of everything about it is the motivate his motivation it's fucking crazy um just have a bunch of people that won't challenge him and will deify him who will go to war for him who will kill for him yeah yeah, who will try to take over the world for him when in a very, which is what he was trying to do by the end, like truly, that he was out of it. He was totally fucking out of pocket, and 
believe in his own bullshit by the very end, at least. Um, but yeah, so he was just, but at this point, he's just Chizuo Matsumoto. <laughs> yes. He's got some kids. He's a massage therapist. He doesn't make a lot of money. So he does what any good piece of shit does. Uh, he starts a fake Chinese medicine business. In 1982, he would be arrested and fined a few thousand dollars for selling fake cures and fake drugs. Fake like, Chinese medicine? Yep. Like uh, Almighty Medicine, which was just like tangerine peel and alcohol. But I don't, I think he was like selling like fake like drug drugs too. Mm-hmm. That didn't stop his ass though. And in 1984, he founded the yoga school that would lay the foundation for Om Shinrikyo. This was called Om Shinzen no Kai, or the Om Association of Mountain Wizards. (laughs) From his one-room apartment in Tokyo in the Shibuya district. Yeah. I, you know, he's an entrepreneur. At this point, that's all he is. He's doing great. And at this point, too, people loved him. He was just running a yoga school. He wasn't given fucking, he wasn't making up religions and shit, mm-hmm. you know? But even then, he knew exactly what types of people he was trying to get money from. People like him. Disaffected, intelligent nerds with an interest in the strange. A big break for Asahara came when uh, Twilight Zone magazine, Japan's like, you know, paranormal weirdo magazine, ran a story on him featuring the picture that would come to be associated with Shoko Asahara. The levitating trick. The guru claimed, would you, would you be Shoko? I can levitate for three seconds, but the period is gradually lengthening. It wasn't. It was obviously a trick. He sat down in a lotus position and he fucking clenched his thigh muscles and he launched himself up into the air. And like, obviously, you yeah. know? Fucking obviously. Not even goddamn Puhara could be tricked by that. He's like rocking back and forth and shit. No, he would like... Oh, wow. Yeah, like he would... It's a... a, I can't do it. Like it's a hard thing to do, but you're sitting in the lotus position and you jump up into the air. He had to do it a bunch of times to get the shot. (laughs) And uh, yeah, according to the photographer who shot the the photo, uh, Asahara landed very hard and... uh, he was obviously in a lot of pain, but he tried not to show it. Yeah. And like, even his knees are red in the fucking picture and That's shit. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the photographer just watches this. But it helped that Asahara, well, Chizuo Matsumoto, was charismatic, warm, jovial, and blind. He was magnetic, and people trusted him. They felt safe around him. Well enough to get him fucking paid. The Twilight Zone magazine stunt was fantastic publicity. And more and more students came to sit at the feet of the master and learn the magic yoga techniques that allowed you to fly. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, and the guru poured all the money back into the business and did what any self-respecting megalomaniac should do. Franchise. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So that's what he did. He opened up a bunch of yoga schools all over Japan. Uh, he was His yoga schools were described as homey, comfortable sanctuaries away from the fucking super high-pressure life in Japan, in mainstream Japan. The guru was affable, kind, he was present, he was ready to talk about anything from, like, mystic Buddhism to baseball. And this was... This was a yoga school. And then something really weird happened. In 1986, homeboy was meditating on the beach one day, he says, and he heard a voice. The voice told him... I have chosen you to lead God's army. 
Oh. Yeah, that's when you fucking know. And then the same year at a spiritual retreat in the mountains, Homeboy allegedly met a unnamed, quote-unquote, radical historian who told him, Armageddon will come at the end of the century. Only a merciful, godly race will survive. The leader of this race will be born in Japan. For the record, I don't think any of this happened. What do you No, do? what a load of bullshit. It's a bunch of fucking bullshit. He didn't even make up the whole, like, Jesus is going to come from Japan thing. But what do you like, Armageddon's always coming. Yeah. Always has been, always will be. Well, that, see, that's the thing. Armageddon, it's because no one's brought it about yet. <laughs> they keep trying. <laughs> no. <laughs> Have they, though? A little bit. Chiswood didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Not hard enough. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do? Chizuo Matsumoto, by gift or design, had a holy mission. And conveniently, a path to extreme wealth, extreme importance. As punctuation and a marker of a new era dawning, Chizuo Matsumoto changed his name to the much more important sounding Shoko Asahara. And he did all the burgeoning cult leadership. He went to the Himalayas. He met with the Dalai Lama. Asahara said that the, the Lama gave him a mission of spreading Buddhism in Japan because... Asahara, quote, had the mind of the Buddha. Okay. The office of Tibet's god emperor says that Dalai Lama didn't remember him and that he meets with hundreds of people every year and Asahara was just another one. Quick aside, the Dalai Lama did ask a very young boy to suck his fucking tongue and also met with, like, such luminaries as Keith fucking Ranieri of Nexium. So, you know, like, I don't know which one is true here. I wouldn't be surprised either way. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, yeah, like... Um, Asahara also traveled to Egypt, saw the pyramids, and started claiming he had been an Egyptian chief in the previous Oh, life. they all do. No, 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 not chief. Egyptian priest. He was actually Imhotep who designed the pyramids, he said to later. Typical. Yep. Egyptian past life, check. Imhotep. Um, also, has passed as like a potion dealer slash fake doctor, yep. another check, like oh, yeah. the cult leader tropes, you yep. know. He's, he's really got it all. By the book right now. Yeah. This is... And it, this is a greatest hits of all of it, too. Like, even down to the fucking MK Ultra shit is he just took the best bits of this is cult mashup. Yeah. Yeah. This is just fucking an otaku cult, a hyper pop fucking hyper pop culture cult is really like what it taking the most like the, taking the greatest hits. Right. Mashing it all up, you know. True entertainment and engagement from start to finish. I don't know. In 1987, with new holy purpose, a bunch of fucking money from the yoga schools, and a brand new name and lore, Shoko changed the name of his group from Om Association of Mountain Wizards to Om Shinrikyo, or Om Supreme Truth. And this is where shit's gonna start happening fast as fuck. It's 1987, so there's eight years between the founding of Om Shinrikyo and the Tokyo subway gas attacks. All right. So let's pause the narrative and talk about what the fuck they believed. Why it was so successful and how Asahara pulled it off. That way we can just move on to barraging you all with the craziest shit you've ever heard for the next two and a half episodes. Asahara's theology was a hodgepodge of Tibetan Buddhism, Hindu traditions, and apocalyptic Christianity. He took what worked from each one and gave a bunch of wiggle room around the actual terms and concepts to suit his own ends which were money, expansion, and power at first. The end times shit was essentially baked in from the start. That didn't go apocalyptic. It started apocalyptic and went further. 
you know, remember the radical historian who didn't exist. It's never mentioned like what new age or magical texts Asahara was into, but I get the distinct feeling that he studied cults and was deeply knowledgeable about what worked and what didn't. I think I get the feeling he read about MK Ultra. I get the feeling he read all the shit in Twilight Zone magazine. You know what I mean? Like he was well versed in not just sci-fi and pop shit, but like weird weird counterculture history, you know? Conspiracy culture and shit. Uh all the tactics and techniques of Ohm are like a greatest hits mashup of every successful cult and brainwashing operation there's exactly. ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of disaffected people in Japan. A sentiment that is often expressed with regards to Ohm is that Ohm showed Japan its shadow side. It revealed the cracks in the foundations of society that Japan didn't want to look at. And while I can't speak to that, I can say that cults and absolute fucking tragedies like this, like this is about to become, often do exactly that, show society as their shadow side. And if you think, like, since the Second World War, like, their economy, they are essentially <laughs> occupied by America and the fucking Yakuza, and had America rebuild their economy. Mm-hmm. And then it was the Cold War, and and then they had the economic miracle, and now the economic miracle is on the downswing, and all of this was in stark fucking contrast to many centuries of history of a culture that really cares about tradition. So yeah, there's shit they didn't want to look at. They didn't know what they were doing. Like, this is, this is a weird time in a nation's history you know and that's like you know that's something that i there's a book uh underground by haruki murakami by is a weird word because it's just a series of interviews the first like 200 pages are interviews with victims of the subway gas attacks and the last like 100 pages are interviews with members of om shinrikyo oh interesting it is fucking fascinating like truly truly fascinating and it's like something that i'm not going to be able to really give a good portrait of because mm-hmm. it's what is it called underground i, I really re- like i de- if if this shit interests you i really do recommend going and reading uh books about this um i would say underground especially just because it's i like interviews with people and hearing like exactly how the fuck yeah got in. definitely um and you know like japan like they i think their school years are like 280 days, not 180. There's the whole like the salary man culture. Like, you know, it's a mark of honor to be falling asleep while you're working and shit. Like there's Japan has some fucking problems with that, that high pressure shit. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of disaffected people in Japan and the prime deity and object of worship besides Asahara was the Hindu god Shiva. And okay. Yeah. Shiva's an incredibly complicated god. Like, he means much, much more than how he's just commonly reduced to Shiva the Destroyer, you know? However, Ohm's bullshit was not what one might call theologically complicated or sound. In Ohm, Shiva was the Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. In the Hindu traditions, there's a concept called the Yugas, the sort of descending fall from grace mm-hmm. of the world, right? Ages. Yeah. The last, the Kali Yuga, is the time of barbarism and chaos. Some Buddhist traditions have a similar concept called Meppo. And, of course, there's the Christian concept of Armageddon, which Asahara really, really, really liked. Um, and so, you know, in Om Shinrikyo, this is the Kali, you, you know, they had this whole mythology of the world needing to end to be purified again and reach the the pure good state. Yeah. And all that shit. I know, I know. Tale is old. Yes. Time. Yeah. 
And that's the thing. It is the new age shit. It really is just that. No, it Turn is. Turn the fuck up. Totally. Yeah. At an OM conference in May 1997, Asahara gave his first sermon espousing his apocalyptic visions. Asahara made his first prediction based on astral vision and intuitive wisdom. And the news was not good. Willow, if you please. Japan will rearm herself in 1992. Between 1999 and 2003, nuclear war is sure to break out. I, Asahara, have mentioned the outbreak of nuclear war for the first time. We have only 15 years before it. Then the hard sell. Nuclear holocaust could be averted, but only if every country had an own branch run by a Buddha or, quote, quote, awakened one. By this, of course, Asahara meant himself or one of his disciples. Spread the training system of Aum on a global scale and scatter Buddhas over the world. Then we can avoid World War III for sure. I guarantee it. You're going to like the way you look. Yeah. <laughs> in sermons and in books with titles like Day of Annihilation, uh, his forecast started getting really precise. He said first trade friction with the U.S. was going to cause Japan's standard of living to plummet in 1990 and lead to a virtual police state. In 1996, Japan will sink into the sea, an evil landmass devoured in its entirety by the waves. Then in 1999, the end of the world begins. In the early next century, Russia, China, the U.S., and Europe will collapse in the year 2003, from October 30th to November 29th, to be precise. Armageddon will enter its final phase with a nuclear war that destroys all civilization. From the rubble of the fucking nuclear wasteland will rise a race of, quote, superhumans, the followers of Shoko Asahara and Om Shinrikyo. He, uh, he said, all-out th thermonuclear warfare is not a big problem for one who has attained enlightenment. As much as he was really high on the end of the world, he was also a businessman. He used his apocalyptic preaching as a means to uh, send enrollment in Om Shinrikyo through the fucking roof and start pulling in millions of dollars a year. And uh, he's a good businessman. You know, people like a good story. Who's yeah. Gonna, you know, showing up to church every week can get kind of stale. Isn't it more exciting if you believe you're a part of some biblical yeah, cosmic is. story and you're like right near the end of it and you might play a role in like you know being at the beginning of the next book yeah and i mean one as i said like a big fucking thing they incorporate he incorporated the imagery and mythology from sci-fi shit and like popular sci-fi shit and anime into the teachings of Om Shinrikyo. That was part of it. It was this thing from the future. They were interested in science and technology. One of their biggest things was that they were going to prove spirituality through science and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, it seemed like they were the core of holy fucking monk warriors of the future to uh, survive Armageddon and shit. Yeah. That's what you needed, the spiritual technology. Yeah. Well, Asahara also got back on selling his uh, his fake medicine shit. Good. Very good. If but, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, he fixed it. <laughs> 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 this time it was shit like, um, yeah, so normally you'd expect what I'm about to say to happen in like a few years in. But nah, this happened real fast. He got back on selling his fake medicine shit. But this time it was like uh, selling his beard clippings for almost $500 a half inch. Tea brewed from his hair. This get, just gets more and more gross. He sold his dirty bathwater for around $1,000 a quart. Oh my God. Called it Holy Pond. <laughs> Cult leader bathwater. Holy Pond. I love it. <laughs> 
That, yeah. That is um, quite expensive. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Then there were the initiations. We love a good initiation. But this one cost almost $10,000 and it was supposed to imbue you with the supernatural intelligence and power. It was called the blood initiation. What do you think it was? Some gross shit with blood, obviously. Yeah, you got to meet Asahara and drink his own blood with him. We're still in fucking 1987 and 88, by the way. <laughs> it's pretty metal. Asahara told his followers he would demonstrate the power of underwater samadhi by meditating for an hour in a closed tank of water without oxygen. But when the day came, he was busy. Oh. Yeah. Somehow, though, believers came. By the end of 1987, Ohm had over 1,500 members and offices in several cities. And the recruitment drive only increased. Asahara took out ads in Twilight Zone magazine. He promised supernatural powers and warned the nuclear war was coming if Ohm didn't build Utopia. Utopia, of course, cost money, and every recruit had to donate at least $700 to the uh, Japanese Shambolization Fund. Shambolization. We're going to get to Shambhala. Or we're going to leave Japan in shambles. Yeah. I don't. I wonder if he thought about I wonder if that was a funny joke. Shambolization. Yeah, the shambolization. <laughs> um, well, if your interest was piqued by these ads, you'd call a number for more information. But before you got that information, the home representative, representative would get your information, your name, your birthday, and home address, which you can be used for all sorts of fun things. You know, you'd be invited to a truth meeting where you'd watch a video lecture by Asahara and then meet privately with an Ohm recruiter. One prospective member told the recruiter how she saw her friend's shadow blur shortly before the friend died, like they were hanging out and she noticed that her shadow blurred and then like some days later her friend died. Mm. Uh, the recruiter told her, You are a trainee in a previous life. You are innately at a higher level. If you train yourself hard in Ohm, your superpower will increase. Blurry shadows. Once you were in, there were courses for whatever type of enlightenment path you wanted. Whatever you wanted. Whether that be a correspondence course or a grueling midnight to dawn enlightenment course. All for a few thousand dollars. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course is a course, of course, of course. Asahara made a point to specifically recruit those who were terribly disaffected by the state of Japan. Remember... This is a nation with an impossibly strong sense of tradition, but the future dropped on their fucking heads and were then wrenched into modernity. There was Japan's economic miracle, which by the late 80s was failing. Economic troubles were on the rise. There had been the ever-present threat of nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia. Japan wasn't allowed to have a real military. Japan went from the nation that preserved its traditions at all costs to being the first post-apocalyptic society. Add to that the rigid conformity of Japanese society... The pressure of school and work culture, fear of the future, etc., etc., etc. A lot of disaffected people. Another thing that Ohm famously did is they, Asahara specifically went after highly intelligent young men. The otaku culture. This is true to an extent. Especially for the senior leadership. But Ohm was made up of people from across Japanese society. Young, old, rich, poor... Highly educated, uneducated men, women, everybody. It they wasn't just a young men thing. Nope. He did, though, tailor a lot of his recruiting to young male nerds because young, nerdy, disaffected men are fucking dangerous. True that. Yeah. Uh, and they know how to do things. And they want to do things. Some of the tactics Asahara used to go after these men were traditional, like, quote-unquote, honeypot tactics. That is making it seem like they'd get laid if they joined. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And also Asahara himself was a disaffected young man. Well, Asahara, would, what he'd do is like go on talk shows and shit, and he'd bring like some followers with him, and they'd be hot women. And he'd like do a thing where he transferred power into them with his thumb, and he did it very soft-spoken, very quiet, very guru-ish, you know, very soft-spoken, very calm. Um, and he would like put his thumb on their forehead, and they'd basically start having an orgasm <laughs> yeah like shaking with convulsing with pleasure and shit right on television and that's a hell of a fucking good propaganda technique mm-hmm. yeah and asahara himself was a disaffected young man he hated the world and like many dangerous cults om shinrikyo had that all too common view that the physical world was evil i that hate it, that me too that it was corrupt, that the goal of the spiritual seeker should be to renounce the evil material world, which had been so very, very cruel to them anyway. So here's a, this is a list of people, mostly men who are the inner circle of Omen, as we will soon see, uh, made up the ministers, which was eventually what they were called, of Om Shinrikyo's shadow government. For storytelling and entertainment purposes, we're not going to mention all of them, but we will introduce a few, because while Shoko Asahara is a fucking demon and should never, ever be let off the hook in any way, these people were key in the evolution of Om Shinrikyo from cult to fucking specter or like anime villain or team rocket, whatever the fuck. First, there was uh, Kiyohide Hayakawa. He was the deputy leader and construction minister. That's an odd title. He was the fixer. Okay. He's an interesting cat. He was definitely the second most powerful person. He was the dude flying all over the place, really making deals. And like, he was, he was the fixer. If there was anyone who like, was a double agent for somebody, it'd be this guy. Someone like whose job is the construction minister usually is. Construction <laughs> minister. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1949. He was an engineer by training. He was attracted to Ohm's blending of Eastern Western philosophies, became a close associate of Asahara, contacted Asahara in 1986, interested in learning his superpowers. And like I said, he was the, sh- the fixer. He made, made the shit happen. Next, uh, Right under Hayakawa in power levels was Hideo Murai. He was the Minister of Science and Technology. He was an extremely eccentric and extremely intelligent nerd who had just as many delusions of grandeur and uh, of scientific and technical technological grandeur as Asahara. He had a doctorate in astrophysics, and the relationship between Murai and Asahara was, while Murai was definitely like a truly devoted follower of Om Shinrikyo, they had this thing where it was like a feedback loop of increasing each other's delusions, scientific delusions. A lot of the crazy fucking ideas came from Mirai, who was known his whole life for being the fucking crazy nerd, always trying to do the build the impossible gadget and shit. Mm-hmm. You know? Then there was Yoshihiro Inoue. He was the minister of intelligence. He was born in 1969, teenager when he joined Ohm. He was extremely devoted to Asahara, real true believer. And was instrumental in planning, instrumental in planning and carrying out many of the crimes that would follow. Very much, very much seeing the acts that he would plan and commit as being in service to a higher good, a religious mm. good, wiretapping, kidnapping, murder, all the intelligence type stuff. Being that he was chief spook, Seichi Endo, chief chemist, master's degree in virology and genetics. We'll get to his ass next episode. <laughs> Fumihiro Joyu. Spokesman, the Ohm heartthrob. <laughs> Joyu was good-looking, charismatic, and eloquent. 
He did a lot of the external proselytizing for Ohm, and his charisma was key in selling Ohm to as many people as they did. You gotta have a face. Yes, he was the face. Yeah, he was, he was definitely the face. Also, he's the only person on the list of people I just mentioned who's still alive. Uh, and in fact, still leads one of the, not one, but two successors to Ohm. Joryu now leads Hikari no Wa, or Circle of Rainbow Light. Hmm. And the, the, all those guys joined pretty pretty early on. There's a couple more important people we'll get to in other episodes, but yeah. Sounds so beautiful. Circle of Circle Rainbow. Circle of Rainbow Light. Yeah. Doing yoga with her friends, eating veggies. But no. <laughs> Asahara, for his part, was now fully in the role of true holy man, with his followers doting on him and treating him as such. You know, there's all these pictures of him and the fucking holy man beanbag thrown and people fucking with the fans and the feeding him grapes and all that, whatever the fuck, you know. Real, like, I'm... I'm Jesus Christ. I'm, I, well, he said he was Shiva. If you're I'm a cult Shiva. leader, you got to have people feed you grapes at some point. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why I don't like calling fucking Guy and Edna Ballard cult leaders, really. Nobody ever fed them grapes. They didn't want that shit. They wanted why you know we're fucking near them. I love that about them. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, we don't so want much. Our filthy followers to look Shoko's, at us in private homes. Yeah, seriously. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Shoko's gross, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoko smells so much worse than them. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, they never ate any onion or garlic. That's true. Oh, that fucking ohm food was, like, literally just onion and garlic. No, garlic's too good for you. Yeah. Now, what, did, what was his diet like? I have to wonder. We'll get there. Okay. His diet. Went off the fucking rails. Okay, I'm glad we have information about that. Oh, he he went from, when he founded Ohm, he was like my size, like reasonably thin, fit, right? Yeah, thin. He's thin. He's so used to thinking that like thin is like skeletal, but no, he, <laughs> he was my size. <laughs> yeah. He was fucking huge by the end of Like he, he had a real like crazy food addiction and shit and was like just extremely gluttonous in every way. Especially when he started losing his mind with the speed and LSD. Mm. There's a lot of drugs that came into the picture. Another big component right from the beginning was the appropriation of science fiction into the own myths. Specifically, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series and the anime space battleship Yamato. Foundation is an interesting series. It's about a myth, uh, about how a myth of this thing called the Foundation that holds the secrets of the universe, like, drives civilization to expand and grow throughout millennia just by existing and like this myth that there's this foundation out there that has all these secrets of psychohistory, the ability to predict the future. And when the foundation is found and opened, the big secret is that it was just the myth that there was a big secret that did the heavy lifting of keeping civilization on the right track. I like it. It's sick. It's, I mean, it's Isaac Asimov. It's fucking really cool. Very prophetic. Yeah. Space battleship Yamato named after the world war two battleship Yamato was an anime that revolved around international crew from earth tasked during an interstellar war to go into space aboard the space warship Yamato in response to a message of aid from the planet Iskandar to retrieve a device which is able to reverse the radiation infecting Earth after being bombed and rendered uninhabitable with a device called the Cosmo Cleaner. They would make their own Cosmo Cleaners, but it'd be a totally different thing. Yeah. And I'm going to call it because I have to because it's what I do now, but I'm, I know this motherfucker Red Dune. I know it. Of course. It. Big I, sci-fi nerd. Yeah, like he didn't mention it. Because it'd be too goddamn obvious. but Too on the nose. He thought he was fucking God Emperor and then he was on the golden path. He wasn't, though. He knows nothing. 
<laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing of the fucking spice trance dog. But this this bridging of science fiction with his fucked up Buddhist mythology was, like I said, another key part of getting disaffected youth to join the burgeoning cult. Because so much of Om Shinrikyo revolved around a true hatred for the world, there was a focus on attaining spiritual purity to remove the influence of what Asahara referred to as, quote, bad data and replacing it with good data, Asahara data. And that's that sci-fi language shit. Uh, you know, the corrupting influence of the world and the bad karma associated with it could only be lost through purifying the soul through hardship, labor, stressing the body, really hard yoga, death posture shit, fucking no sleeping, fucking stressing the body, right? Why? Body evil, purify it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that like, that's a thing they just kind of did is flip all this shit and, you know, pain is good, pleasure is bad. I mean, it's very BDSM. Uh, like, not really. Right. Not really. Because no one was allowed to fuck either. Yeah. Yeah. But just that idea of, like, you know, pain equal good. Yeah. But, like, nah, though. It's, but it wasn't like pain is pleasurable, right? Right. It was purifying. Fuck. This was not a horny bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. Yeah. Are there any sexual undertones to this at all? With Asahara, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Do you think it, on any level he got off on like, or is it just the sub subjugation of others that he got off on? Oh, he had a harem. Yeah. He Yeah, he had a harem. Okay. No one else was allowed to fuck. But him, yeah, no, he loved it. It's great. Cool. None of the, but like, all the interviews I've read with the the women who fucked him, none of them wanted to at all. Right. They didn't see him like that. Yeah. They didn't want to fuck the guru. It wasn't like it was they were ordered to, you know? Typical. And they were cool with it, but it's it's typical, but I don't know. I got the sense that Jim Jones or that, that Asahara had less sex appeal than other cult leaders. Yeah. For some reason, I just kind of assumed him to be like impotent and that he would get out his sexual pleasures through like almost the fetishization of, of pain. No. That's, and that's a weird thing about him. Yeah. You know? Because no. he kind of lived like a fucking mob boss. Yeah. Loved food, loved fucking, had 12 goddamn kids. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird, though. Now, once cult starts building a compound, by the way, that's like when you fucking know. And build a compound, they did. Just one to start, but a bunch later on. Yeah, you know, just like they started off with the one yoga school yeah. and you expand. Yeah. You can't have the sarin factory the same place as the electroshock helmet factory. It just doesn't work. Right. Different departments. <laughs> the first one was at the base of Mount Fuji on the outskirts of a town named Fujinomiya. And residents retreated to the sound of constant construction of windowless warehouses, wooden shacks, Prefab trailers started showing up, 10-foot-tall gates to block the prying eyes of the neighbors. Oh, with the sound of Indian ragas and Asahara's preaching coming from loudspeakers <laughs> behind these fucking 10-foot-tall walls. And yeah, that's like why you fucking know. Because when a cult has a compound, it means there's shit happening they don't want any other motherfuckers to know about. Yeah. Asahara wasn't concerned with society at large at this point. He, uh... He had decided the society, it was a lost cause, and his only really own members he should worry about. And he uh, he said, uh, 
Rather than helping human society, which has become like hell, I have started to think that my role is to help the new believers of high spirituality survive. Yeah. So that's when the whole, they started building dormitories and all this shit. And then they started convincing people to become renunciates, which means you are very special. You're going to learn the real secrets by giving up all your possessions and family ties and becoming a monk living in their compound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Renunciates had to give up their money, their property, their government IDs, and they had to give their, give the cult their bank account pins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Everything. But understand that it had an incredibly strong pull on the people it got. And here's a perhaps different perspective on what becoming a renunciate was like. This is from Mitsuharo Inaba, a teacher, still an active, he was still an active member of OM even in 1998, three years after the subway attacks. This is him speaking to Haruki Murakami in the book Underground. In order to become a renunciate, I'd have to leave my teaching job. I met with the principal and told him I'd like to finish in March at the end of the school year. I also talked it over with my elder brother in Ohm. He told me there's no need to rush. Wouldn't it be best if you worked for another year, fulfilled your obligations, and then took vows? I worried about it, but decided I'd work for another year. However, as I continued my training, I got immersed in astral. My subconscious began to emerge, and my sense of reality grew faint. When that happens, you're supposed to be apart from the world. It would have been all right if my subconscious had emerged during the summer vacation, but this happened just before. At its worst, when I was teaching a science class, I couldn't for the life of me remember if I'd already mixed the chemicals in the experiments or not. My sense of reality had vanished. My memory became hazy. I couldn't tell whether I'd actually done something or only dreamed it. My consciousness had gone over to the other side and I couldn't get back. The Buddhist scriptures talk about it, how when you reach a certain point in your training, this schizophrenic element appears. Inside me, there was nothing certain I could rely on. Happily, I still had an awareness of where I was. If things had gotten any worse, I might have become schizophrenic. I got more and more afraid. I had to cure that split personality at one stroke. But going to a psychiatrist wouldn't help. The solution lay in my training. So I became a renunciate. If there was nothing within me I could rely on, then the only thing to do was give myself up to Ohm. Besides, I'd always thought that someday I'd renounce the world. Yeah, he was still in even after the attack, the gas attacks. Okay. Yeah. So what's the life of a renunciant like? Well, you wear dirty white robes and you live in a dormitory with only this tiny little bed compartment above and below other renunciates. Like a beehive. Renunciates were ironically forbidden from killing any living creature, so the compounds, or satians, were filled with bugs, cockroaches, lice, and rats. Everything about this is so gross. We've, Every step of the way. We've literally only just begun. It's only going to get grosser. It's going to get so much worse. You have no fucking idea. It's so bad. Um, sleep was limited to five hours for regular renunciates, five hours a night, and three hours for the more spiritually advanced members. Mm. Yeah. For meals, you were forced to eat a vegetarian diet, but nothing good. A tasteless slop of boiled vegetables called ohm food, which barely provided the nutrients to survive. Good tasting food, after all, was the trappings of the bad world. No pleasure whatsoever. None whatsoever. An estimated 15% of uh, the ohm renunciates were minors. Okay. Yeah. But like, again, something that needs, needs, needs to be understood. Some people love the shit. They love it. Take... Hiroyuki Kano, who remained in Ohm even after the sarin attacks and spoke to Haruki Murakami. 
Life in Ohm was much tougher than secular life, but the tougher it was, the more satisfying it felt. My inner struggles were over, for which one was grateful. I made a lot of friends, too. Adults, kids, old ladies, men, women, everyone in Ohm was aiming for the same thing, raising their spiritual level, so we had lots in common. I didn't have to change myself to get along with others. No doubts remained, because all our questions were answered. Everything was solved. We were told, do this, and this will happen. No matter what question we had, we got an answer straight away. I was completely immersed in it. The media never reports that aspect. They label it all mind control, but actually it isn't. That's just what they say to boost talk show ratings. They don't even try to report the facts. Pro loves having his mind controlled. Yeah. Yeah. He likes it. Yeah. And I mean... The... Some the sickos people, are into that shit. The people who did, like, the ordered murders and shit were the inner circle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was... He wasn't forcing people like this guy or, the, or that teacher <clears throat> to do shit like that. They were living in conditions that you or I would find uh, intolerable and make us want to burn shit to the fucking ground. This dude loved it. Yeah. So, like... I, it, it, there's a distinction there that I think needs to be like at least stated. It's not like every last. Actually, I don't even want to give that disclaimer because it gets so fucking nuts. I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> I, I wrote it the way I did for a fucking reason. I always forget that. Um, well, concerned parents would call the HQ to find out what happened to their children and would be told, "Oh, he's training right now," or "I've never heard of that name." Oh God. Yeah, likely because the kids had, like the adults, taken new names. Uh, new identities from corrupted Sanskrit, usually. Um, at least, though, they were Buddhists, and that meant nonviolence, right? <laughs> As Asahara lectured once, I didn't uh, highlight this, but... I hear it. Yeah. Here's a man who says, I will kill whatever is harmful to me and commits a lot of killing or is cruel to others. How is his state of mind going to be? It's going to be brutal. Therefore, you should not kill. You should love all living beings. And at another lecture, he said, Nonviolence means loving each and every creature. Ah, but do you catch what he's doing there in that second sentence? That little sneaky verbal trick. I love this, actually. This is a great trick. He's changing the definition of nonviolence. Yeah. Nonviolence doesn't mean loving each and every creature. That's not what that word means. Nonviolence means not being violent. There's motherfuckers who I hate with all my heart that I wouldn't lift a finger against. But any abusive, piece, any abusive piece of shit in the world will say that he loves someone right after he gives him a thrashing. Yeah. Which is exactly what was happening inside the compound. The smallest acts of disobedience were punished with beatings. This was called karma disposal. Inside Ohm, like we said, pleasurable things bad, and they give you bad karma. Painful things give you good karma. Thus, when someone was beaten... Both the victim and the perpetrator were becoming more spiritually pure. That's backwards. Yep. Uh, Asahara said, I often pick on my disciples. It's not because I'm a sadist. It's because I have to rid them of negative karma. Yep. Um, and like we said, uh, Shoko Asahara loved, he loved fucking. Loved it. But nobody else could fuck. That wasn't what he said at first, but yeah, in the compound, uh, the main body of all members had to submit to a strict commandment of sexual abstinence. Anyone who was caught masturbating had to spend several days in solitary confinement. <laughs> God. Yeah. He, he had all these like sexual lessons in some of his books and shit. 
Oh boy. To like rope people into his, his shit. I also like, I wasn't going to include this, but I was just like, we have to fucking mention this is, it's just one of those things you have to fucking talk about. Uh, the quote is masturbate daily, but do not ejaculate. Continue this for 10 days, then start masturbating twice a day. Find a picture of your favorite entertainment star, preferably nude, and use the photo to activate your imagination and start masturbating four times a day. But never coming. The number of daily masturbations increased further uh, as this initiatory path went on. Um, then by the sixth week, a willing female partner was found and given a little alcohol to drink. Then they, you know, would withdraw together and begin first with, quote, some petting, <laughs> in which the adept... <laughs> Stroked the woman's nipples. Yep, and stimulated her clitoris. Afterwards, at the same time, I guess so. But that's afterwards. That is adept. Yep. Uh, Afterwards, he copulated with the girl according to a predetermined rhythm (laughs) that was always derived from factors of the number nine. (laughs) This reminds me so much of that (laughs) orgasm cult. Sure, it comes from somewhere. One. I'm sure it comes from somewhere. Keeping still for eighty-one breaths, moving the phallus in and out nine times. Keeping still for another 81 breath units, then 27 times in and out and so forth. Oh my God. It's, it's not clear. Yeah, and just, I don't I don't know if you come in, in that or not, but yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Oh, the woman gets to come first. Always. The woman always has to come first. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm glad it was in there. Like, by contrast, um, well, Oshara could fuck. Pupil who made his girlfriend available justified his offering of her to the guru. Oh, it raises her mental level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you let your girlfriend fuck the guru, it makes her smarter and better. She gets guru energy. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you fuck her, it'll be like you're fucking the guru. And that's better than fucking anybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this this guy said, yeah, if she and the guru fuse together, her mental level rises. By sacrificing himself, he pours his energy into a woman. Yeah, it's a sacrifice for Asahara. To fuck your wife. It's better <laughs> It's better for her than fusing with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you... The smallest infractions um, within Ohm were corporal punished with corporal so, punishment. I don't get it. Can you masturbate or not? No. Not as a renunciate. Okay. Renunciates... There's, like, the outer Ohm, where you oh. just go to, like, the schools and you take the classes oh. and shit, the correspondence stuff, you just give the money... Shoko gives you the fucking instructions on how to fuck good and shit. If they succeed in pressuring you into becoming a renunciate, because they did, they tried to pressure everyone to becoming a renunciate, but only, you know, 1,500 or so did. Once you move to the compound, you are not allowed to uh, to fuck mm-hmm. or jerk off. And if you did, you got solitary confinement. That's, is that more clear? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be dealing with a lot of semen everywhere. Can't have that. Not when you got all those cockroaches and rats around. No. But yeah, like, talking back to the guru, fucking shirking your dude, doing whatever infractions they made up. Uh, Eating meatballs. That'd be a serious infraction. I'm talking just, like, slight, slight infraction. Yeah. Yeah. You got the shit beat out of you. Corporal punishment. Serious offenders had it worse. Maybe this is eating meatballs. That sounds pretty serious to me. I mean, they're vegetarians. Yeah. And meatballs are great. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's good food. It's fucking but, delicious. Well, upon the guru's order, the serious offenders were locked inside a tiny room. The room contained a television, a video of Asahara, and a portable toilet. 
The video was played for 24 hours a day, and the volume had just one setting. Deafening. One ex-believer spent five days in this fashion, would you please? I barely slept, and when I did, Asahara's voice went on in my dreams. I could only take a blanket and a bottle of water inside. I wasn't allowed a watch. Once a believer took tissue paper inside and filled his ears with it. After that, they checked for that sort of thing thoroughly. Food was given once a day at 10 p.m. I couldn't bathe, wash my face, or brush my teeth. They emptied the toilet every two days, but it smelled awful. Just Asahara yelling at you the fucking loudest. Five days. Children were not spared from this sort of punishment either. A 10-year-old boy who had presumably joined the cult with his parents was caught playing in a closet at the Mount Fuji HQ. He too was locked in a cell. It was pitch dark inside and very humid. There were mushrooms growing from the tatami mats. When I pushed the mats, water leaked out. A meal was served once a day, but I was too hot to eat. Nobody helped me, even when I cried out. It's really disturbing that you did the 10-year-old voice for the 10-year-old cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are mushrooms. Yeah. Too hot to eat. Dude's crying. Can't eat. He's fucking breathing mushrooms. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Memos went out to different branches ordering punishment like solitary confinement for small infractions like talking during training. <laughs> You're gonna talk? Yeah. At a, at a certain point, you're just getting punished all the time. And this will... But that helps you spiritually develop, so really they're doing you and themselves a favor. Exactly. You should be grateful for the opportunity, really. Yeah. And if you're not grateful, we can keep you locked up more. Maybe we'll test some of our new drugs on you. Right. Yeah, which we'll get more into that. Eat some of those mushrooms growing off those maps. <laughs> Probably be a better fate, and poisonous mushrooms are one of the worst ways to go. Probably better, though. Well, okay. Azahar freely admitted to brainwashing and trying to mind control his disciples. Modern society is so polluted that people living in it already have had the first brainwashing. And in a document sent to cult members, uh, he clarified his position. Ohm system of brainwashing is the best. <laughs> Brainwash one new member after another. Fuck yeah. They, they just loved brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, dude. And they loved brainwashing and they loved gadgets and sciencey sounding shit, which I understand. I so love I. all of those things, too. I am also a disaffected male nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Minister of Technology, Hideo Murai, was the brains and driving force behind the gadgetry. And one thing that they were fascinated by were brain waves. Which, to be fair, yeah, me too. Of course. Like a lot. They, um, they measured Asahara's brain waves. Allegedly. What they found is that they were nearly flat. Almost dead. <laughs> Nothing going on. Yeah, that's what they did. They, they, this was taken to mean that the less engaged and more checked out you were from the world, like the more perfect you were, mm -hmm. right? And taking this scan of Ashar's brainwaves, they built a, a gadget that would forever be associated with the cult. It's called the PSI, or the Perfect Salvation Initiation. Sick. Yeah, this was a piece of headgear. That could be rented for $7,000 a month, U.S., or bought outright for about 10 times that. Okay. Yep. Expensive. $7,000 a month. Nothing to sneeze at. The PSI is a modified EEG. Um, I'm also pretty sure it's a modified version of the Corin helmet or God helmet. Like I, I'm pretty sure it is, uh, especially since the God helmet is also called the Shiva system. 
and the god helmet uses magnetic pulses to stimulate the temporal lobe, and on the website it says it should never ever be used with voltage instead of magnetic pulses. Why? Because that hurts. You shouldn't shock yourself in the dome. No. The first time Ohm tested the PSI, they tested it on a woman and turned it up to six volts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to where every few seconds it felt like there were needles being stuck into her head. Uh, Hideo Murai said that if he turned it up any further, she would die. So they decided six volts was the optimum amount. <laughs> All right. Push him right to the brink of death. Any further, we gone too far, but just right, right to the brink. So whenever we talk about these guys getting into wacky hijinks, remember, they're wearing electro electrode fucking hats with battery packs that are shocking them in the fucking brain every few seconds. And not eating. And not sleeping. They might have been bathing a little bit, but not a lot. <laughs> And yeah, that's just simply fucking real. That's just some shit that like a whole bunch of people got up to in the fucking late 80s and early 90s. They're, they also made these elect- electrified tatami mats that sent jolts of electricity uh, converted from the guru's sermons, like converted from the audio waves into ele- electrical signals that shocked you in the ass while you were meditating. That's fucking nuts. Yep. And like, it wasn't like shit like this went unnoticed either. Like, parents of children who had joined and other family members and associates had definitely been saying, like, uh, what the fuck? And trying to get authorities involved. But as will become a theme, Japan's authorities put their heads in the sand, probably for fear of getting sued for going after a religious organization, and did nothing. In fact, in 1989, Ohm applied for official religious status in Japan, which would grant them even more protections. And despite doing all sorts of things that would preclude them from being granted that status, like, you know, keeping followers from leaving and shit, of course, they said they let him leave, but they didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they got official religion status in 1989. That's crazy. Yeah. Ohm's supreme truth seemed fucking unstoppable. They ran a series of magazine ads urging people to forsake their families for the cult, and membership fucking surged. Asahara claimed that it was the fastest growing religious group in Japanese history. Might have been right. He built a religious empire that now boasted some three million in assets, uh, membership surged past the $4,000 mark, and the cult started buying up more chunks of land across Japan. $4,000 or 4,000 people? 4,000 people. Yeah. Cult membership increased to 4,000 people at this point. In a television appearance, he told the interview that uh, the interviewer that he did not consider himself at the same level as, as Buddha. Well, that's, that's wise to not claim that. Yeah, but he did claim to be a living god, oh. uh, a deity as holy as Lord Shiva himself, and he said... Um, I intend to become a spiritual dictator, a dictator of the world. Yep. Good for him. This is when the deaths start, too. Um, <laughs> one of the guru's cures for a weak and wavering mind, that is, like, wanting to leave and take a fucking shower, was repeated dunkings upside down into near-freezing water, hanging people uh, by chains from their feet and dunking them repeatedly into near-freezing water to, quote, remove the heat from their heads. Yeah, that will do it. One man went into shock and died. Yeah. Yep. He was the first, but wouldn't be the last. One of his good friends, uh, Shuji Tamaguchi, witnessed this, and as he was already having doubts about the guru's love, he decided to leave. The upper leadership learned about this, and knowing that he witnessed the death of the unnamed man, they grabbed him, black bagged him, tied him to a chair, and interrogated him. He couldn't be let out into the world to spill the beans, right? You can't have that. So when he admitted that he did in fact want to leave, cultists threw a rope around his neck and tightened it until he was dead. No, 
All right, yeah, just kill him. Just kill him. Being new to new to murder, they tried to burn his body in a barrel by dumping gasoline on it. It worked. It took ten fucking hours and made the little village right next door smell like the world's worst barbecue, but it worked. Of course, it didn't solve their problems. Not even a little bit. It never does. In fact, it only added to the paranoia. Of course, now you got murders under your belt. Yeah. Especially since the, now there was this hotshot fucking attorney representing the families of home victims. Dude named Tsutsumi Sakamoto. He had taken on cults and religious groups in the past. Uh, he was a do-gooder, crusader, right? He took on the Unification Church, the Moonies, right? Uh, some right-wing Japanese groups, and now Ohm. Or at least he was going to try. Sakamoto was preparing to sue on behalf of a man who received the blood initiation and got no special powers from drinking Asahara's blood and had paid $7,000 for the privilege. I want my blood money back. I want my blood money back. Sakamoto went on TV shows and radio programs and denounced the cult, conducted research into claims that Asahara's DNA had been studied at Tokyo University. It hadn't. And he was generally causing a nuisance. Cultists started leaving pamphlets outside Sakamoto's home threatening him. He responded by inviting Ohm's legal team to his office to talk. Ohm's legal team was one lawyer and a few enforcers. They talked, it turned into shouting, and the cultists went home to report to Asahara. Yeah. And Asahara decided that Sakamoto should be, quote, poet. Poa is a Buddhist concept that refers to a master helping a disciple with a spiritual transition, sometimes in the form of last rites at death. You can see where this is going. Mm. Poa was considered, is considered a, it's, it's a whole, you do, you help someone through the spiritual transition, right? Yeah. But remember, in Om, the physical re- world is truly evil. And if you help someone leave it, you're helping them get to a better life on the next go round. Yeah. Basically to Poa, someone in Om meant to straight up murder them. And they did. It's kind of, it was like real mafioso shit, like mafioso euphemism, make him sleep with the fishes and shit. Poa him, you know? The plan was to kidnap Sakamoto and inject him with a poison and burn the body, but it didn't go smoothly. Sakamoto was violently murdered along with his wife and their 14-month-old son in late October 1989. Their bodies were dismembered and dumped at various places all over Japan. The murder would not be solved until after the big to-do in 95. Mm. Curiously, the police refused to believe that Ohm was responsible. Despite Sakamoto pissing off a cult that everyone knew was fucked up, and despite, if you can believe it, one of the murderers leaving a fucking Ohm Shinrikyo badge at the crime scene, which only belonged to Ohm members. They claimed, oh, there's thousands of, oh, you don't know how I got there. No, there was like a hundred, if that. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. They left the fucking rice cooker running. They left the fucking food on the table. They didn't clean shit up. But the police said, oh, well, he probably ran away. Literally. Didn't do shit. Ohm got away with it scot-free. Completely got away with it. Uh, despite, like every other goddamn thing they do, it being a complete clusterfuck because they're sleep-deprived, malnourished, and getting electroshocked every few seconds. Well, in 1990, Shoko Asahara decided to try his hand at another cult special, running for political office in the elections for parliament. As usual, Ohm did it in the most batshit way possible. They bought all these oversized papier-mâché masks of Asahara's head <laughs> and wore them while they were pounding the pavement. Okay. Giant I- masks of Asahara's head. With the electroshock. This is absurd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's truly unbelievable. Um, they also did shit like approach people at their homes, campaign past allowable hours, and generally fuck shit up in their dirty robes with electrode hats on and big-ass masks of Asahara's face. How do you think they did? 
don't know. Might get me to look into it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they lost bad, like embarrassingly bad. Yeah. Yeah, like embarrassingly bad. The regular Japanese voter wanted absolutely fucking nothing to do with Shoko's goofy ass. Even though the police weren't doing shit, the Japanese people absolutely knew something was really fucked about Ohm. I found a picture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah, Shogo was blown the fuck out in the elections. And prior to the absolute blowout in the elections, Shogo Asahara had been boasting that soon Ohm Shinrikyo would swallow up all of Japan. But turned out they couldn't even win one fucking parliamentary seat. In contrast to a rival Buddhist cult called Soka Gakkai, or Happy Science, which deserves its own series someday, but the difference was that Happy Science wore suits and obeyed the law and shit. And that's why they became the third largest political party in Japan. After the election defeat, there was discontent within Om Shinrikyo. Outside pressure had been growing, seeing as everyone kind of sort of knew they murdered a fucking lawyer and his family, and Asahara was increasingly turning back to his prophecies of Armageddon and getting darker and weirder with it. One time, he mused that he could set up a harem and start breeding his own offspring and turning them into his own military corps, because in his words, they won't, won't be prosecuted if they're juveniles. Right. Yeah. The election loss, the dissent, the failing membership, or at least fallen growth. This made Shoko mad. Yeah. This made Shoko very, very mad. It's just like when he was in school. Just like when he was in school, yeah. This made Shoko want revenge. <laughs> this made Shoko want to overthrow the Japanese government with chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. If you're not going to let me in, then I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. And that's exactly what Shoko tasked his top men with figuring out. Ah, uh, when they start construction of their first biolabs in 1990. Uh-oh. And that's where we will continue next week. Oh, boy. We have literally only just begun. And it gets so much worse. It's incredible. I love it. I know. it's. I mean, it's a good story. It's, it's fascinating. Story. It's It's a gross story. The th so the thing is that, like, I really thought that when I got into the serious, the real reading about this shit, that it would be less sensational than I thought. Nah. Nah, it's fucking whack. <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. Honestly, the more shit I read, the crazier it got. Um, it's also, you know, there's, they got up to so much shit that even like, I've, I had to cut so much like analysis and shit, even in this, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's deep. They did a lot. There's, there's a lot going on here. A lot fucking going on here. But I think the Knight of Wands is fairly self-explanatory. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know? The fiery element of fire just fucking going for it. Smashing all... No nuance whatsoever. No. Fuck nuance. Fuck uh, no. subtlety. Decor. <laughs> Class of any type. Yeah. I mean, Shoko Asahara is the Knight of Wands. He's the fiery part of fire. He's just going to do the shit. And all these... I mean, the people too, like... We can build this. We can fucking make anime real. We can fucking bring the future in. Mm -hmm. And then now we can bring Armageddon. I also like how in the Rider Waite Smith deck, he's facing the left, which yeah. is interesting. There's not a lot of figures that do that in the court cards. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it, like facing to the left. That's true. So just like, I don't know, it underscores very much like the left-hand path, new age, magical aspect of this. Well, he was trying to get money. Yeah. Yeah. And hmm, 
And there is also just the obvious Armageddon aspect. Yep. Pure purification by fire. That shit. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I did. I did, too. I have... I do love learning about this shit. It's fucking fascinating. I don't know. It really is. Truly disturbing, but fascinating. If you like what we do, we do have a Patreon. We do. And hey, so... You used to be able to put up Patreon goals. You say, oh, if we get this much money, month will. You can't do that anymore on Patreon, so I'm just going to have to say it on here. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the God Helmet earlier. When we get to $1,000 a month, we will buy a God Helmet. Fuck yeah, we will. It, that's a thing you can buy, and we promise we will do that. We're, we're halfway there. We're around. We're halfway there. But when we get to $1,000 a month, we will buy a fucking God Helmet, and we will use it and report on it in depth. We won't, we won't try to show ourselves, though. We'll, We'll do it by the book. The magnets, not the voltage. But yeah. In the meantime, you can get access to our bonus series, The Corkboard Bazaar, and our patron Discord server, where we're doing some fun psychic experiments, remote viewing, and a shared dream experiment, and all that fun shit. And it's just generally a good time. Yeah, you can get access to that. Start $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Nonsense Bazaar. And if you can't do that and want to support the show, leave us a rating and review. It really helps uh, get the show in front of more people. And... We appreciate it. We love seeing the numbers go up. You know, I love watching numbers go up. It's like my favorite fucking thing. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. And take care. Take care of yourselves. Don't join Japanese death cults. Holy shit. <laughs>